All right, we are back. We're going to talk about some follow-ups here, as we were doing in the first segment. And the first thing I want to hit is the June 29th edition of New Scientist magazine. Title of the article is, Are You Sitting Comfortably? Well, don't. In it, author Richard Lovett takes a look at the fact that even if you're fit and active, that desk job is seriously bad for your health. To quote from it, he cites a researcher named Michael Jensen, who's joined by another fellow, David Dunstan, looking into the question of what it's like to have a desk job. Notes Mr. Lovett, what they found is clearly disturbing enough for them both to make sure they spend most of the day on their feet. In fact, they're on the cutting edge of a new field known as inactivity research, which is revealing that inactivity, particularly in the form of sitting, is really bad for your health. We talked about this before on the program, but uh, this article sort of fleshes out some of the details, and it ain't pretty. Peace notes that inactivity is bad for you, even if you exercise as well. Heading to the gym is not a license to spend the rest of the day on your backside. Notes a study down at the University of Queensland in Brisbane noted that uh, analysis of the television viewing habits of 8,800 Australians led them to calculate that for each hour of television... You slice 22 minutes off the average life expectancy of an adult over 25. They note there are many other studies reaching similar conclusions. And in review of all of the evidence, David Dunstan, also an Australian, concluded that there was a persuasive case that excessive sitting should now be considered an important standalone component of the physical activity and health question. They note that across a 14 or 15 hour waking day, we're getting 55 to 70% sedentary time. They note that moderate to vigorous activity, what people like to call exercise, occupies just 5% or less of people's days. Author Lovett said what he learned was disturbing. On a typical working day, he was inactive for eight hours in total. Even though he runs up to 25 kilometers a week and takes long walks, there are indeed periods where he sits for more than two hours at a time writing. And he's disturbed because studies are revealing that inactivity produces a complex cascade of metabolic changes. For example, unused muscles not only atrophy, but shift from endurance-type muscle fibers, which can burn fat, to fast-twitch fibers that rely more strongly on glucose. Inactive muscles also lose mitochondria, which are the cell's powerhouses, and of course also burn fat. With the muscles relying more on carbohydrates for what little work you're doing, unburned lipids accumulate, which makes your blood fatty. Anyway, worth checking out this article and maybe checking out on the web what, what this evidence is showing, but uh, the punchline here is that people who watch six hours of television every day can expect to die five years earlier than people who don't watch any. No, we have no independent data on what Fox News does to those totals, but we suspect it's bad. This dovetails with an obituary, which we need to do some. We've just gotten behind on this. But let me just talk about uh, the passing of Niels Diffrient. No, I'd never heard of him either. But noted one obituary, if you're sitting in a comfortable chair, you probably owe a word of thanks to Niels. He was an American industrial designer who was a pioneer in the field of ergonomics, making products designed to fit the human body. While many of his contemporaries prioritized form over function when designing seating, Different used x-rays to study how human spines bend in seated positions and based his blueprints on how people actually sit or ought to. During his career, Different uh, helped design the sleek Princess Telephone, the interiors of American Airlines jets, and the Polaroid SX-70 camera, which could be collapsed to fit into a jacket pocket. 
I like the quote in the Week magazine about, uh, about Niels Diffrian. He said, despite his career-long focus on function, he admitted to being a sucker for beautiful objects, noting that his living room boasted several modernist chairs that he thought had been designed solely for visual effect. Different said, I hardly ever sit in them. I sit in a comfortable chair and look at them. All right, let's follow up with a wonderful talk we had with Dr. Ivan Schwab about the evolution of the eye. There's an opinion interview piece in New Scientist, same issue in this case, June 29th, talking about the dimensions of color. Talking to Dr. Schwab, we, re- we learned about a mantis shrimp, which apparently has 16 different types of photoreceptors, which must make the world a very colorful place to that shrimp. We only have three ourselves, and... And apparently, since the genes for red and green receptors are next to each other on the X chromosome, 2% of men are missing one of them. Since females have two X chromosomes, they, uh, uh, they kind of have a redundancy built in, so only 1 in 230 women has a similar form of color blindness. But uh, this interview slash opinion piece talked to ophthalmologist Jay Knights and note that one day we may be all able to see more colors by using viruses to inject certain genes that will allow us to have another photoreceptor, which is an interesting thought. The piece also has a datum I did not know, which that um, certain people are called tetrachromats. They apparently have a backup gene in the red, in the red pigment area that uh, is a little bit different and allows them to see just a little bit extra in the color shading department. Although curiously, this does not give people much advantage because... Things that are designed out there are for people with normal vision. Monitors and TV screens only show colors that a trichromat, which is most of us, would see. Also, most commercial paints are based on similar color mixing. So it's noted that surrounded by human-made objects in our daily lives, there's nothing to stimulate that extra color gene in most of these cases of people who are tetrachromats. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind seeing some extra colors. And it turns out this same issue, which is, I guess, an exceptional one of news scientists, talks about how they've noted that we have a lot of preserved passenger pigeons, once felt to be the world's most common bird. There was estimated there were 5 billion individual birds in North America at one point. And, of course, um, thanks to human habitat change and and treating these pigeons as a source of cheap protein that they turned out to be, they were all wiped out. They've been gone now for a century, the last Passenger pigeon named Martha died in the Cincinnati Zoo in 1914, but with modern technology, there is a thought that we may be able to resurrect this bird. Of course, some are saying, well, it may not be right to bring back an extinct species. Radio Parallax takes an official policy in favor of bringing back the passenger pigeon. Now, let's do some follow-up on stupid political stuff. Here's one that's about the dumbest thing I can think of. In that, one of the main reasons I choose to live in the Sacramento slash Davis area is the fact that there's this wonderful thing called the bike trail, more specifically the American River Parkway Trail, which parallels the American River all the way from Lake Natomas to where it joins the Sacramento River at the confluence. Now keep in mind, this is a bike trail, which kind of by definition was constructed so people could ride their bikes along the river path. Well, apparently somewhere along the way, people have decided they don't want to walk across the bike trail to hike uh, in the areas that are not paved. No, they want to push their baby strollers along the bike trail and walk along listening to music through headphones. And these people are upset by the fact that bikes are going along at a fast clip. 
Well, let me just quote from, from sane commentaries uh, in the form of letters to the B. In regards to this idea they were going to put radar guns out there and start warning people to slow down their bikes, Bruce Notarius of Folsom wrote the B to say, is the county also going to address the problems of pedestrians walking or running on the asphalt with their backs to bike traffic or pedestrians walking five and six abreast and refusing to yield to bicycle traffic? or of skateboarders, motorized scooter riders, or any of the many, many other forms of unsafe behavior that can be observed every day by those using the bike trail? If the county believes that speeding bicyclists pose a safety risk, they should do something about it. However, 15 miles per hour is not a realistic speed limit for safety reasons alone. Maybe the powers that be might consider not ticketing unless speed is 20 miles an hour and the cyclist is riding in an unsafe manner. Here, here. Or this from Kathy Lopes. I cycle on the path and I have encountered dangerous behavior from all parties. Cyclists are supposed to stay on the right and ride the posted speed. Joggers and walkers are supposed to stay on the left. Many times I've seen walkers take up most of the paved area, assuming cyclists can go around. They do not see there may be oncoming cyclists that makes that dangerous. Or this from Ryan Fong. The American River Parkway Trail began as a bike trail, but is now a multi-use trail. Its existence is the reason I'm an avid recreational cyclist. Because the trail is the primary location for many avid recreational cyclists, precluding the majority of us from using it legally by enforcing a 15-mile-per-hour speed limit, would likely decrease ridership in the region. I'm sure I won't be the only cyclist to stop supporting the parkway if this is broadly enforced. Ticket unsafe use of the trail by all, not just any cyclist exceeding 15 miles per hour, which in and of itself is not inherently unsafe. I don't know, this is pretty unbelievable. The reporting by the B, piece by Tony Bizjack, notes that, uh, well, they quote one woman as saying that she follows etiquette on the trail by running on the left side of it so she can see cyclists coming toward her and she slides onto the crushed granite shoulder to give riders more room whenever possible. But she said, but it's been scary when they don't follow in single file. You know, I remember Mrs. Sugden, my third grade teacher, explaining to me how when you're on the side of the road, you face traffic and you get off the road if possible. This is just, what are these people, morons? Why would you be running on the asphalt at all? It's a bike trail. Sounding a more positive note in this whole uh, brouhaha is the fact that uh, Apparently, the Rangers have taken the safety measure by removing most stop signs for bicycles and adding them for vehicles, which only makes sense. And, of course, a piece by the editorial board for the B sounding off on this shows some moron of a woman running in the same direction as the flow of traffic. I don't know what they're teaching in the third grade these days. Oh, you know, but actually, as I looked down at the picture, I realized it's much worse than this. The woman running in the middle of the trail is California's first lady, Ann Gust Brown. She's running with her dog on a leash who is in the other lane, which is just moronic, but may give some idea why it is the Rangers are out there with radar guns citing the cyclists for going too fast, but not idiots jogging down the wrong way of the trail while simultaneously walking their dog. I get better move off this topic. There does come a, a point, and we've noted that point on many occasions, I think on every show, in fact, where the news becomes uh, an item of comedy. There's probably no better example of this than what's been taking place 
in our nearby town of Dixon as regards the fact that a promoter has been claiming she's going to build a multi-billion dollar movie studio out in a cow pasture. We highly recommend the follow-up piece by Sam Stanton and Marjorie Lundstrom in The Bee on July 3rd about how, (laughs) well, just a quote from it, development officials had doubts promoter could complete project. It starts off by noting that Dixon officials were warned months ago that Carissa Carpenter could not deliver on her proposed $2.8 billion movie studio, but they forged ahead with enthusiastic support for the now-troubled project. That's according to interviews and documents that were obtained by the B. Dixon's city economic development director, named Mark Heckey, uh, researched Carpenter on the internet and contacted an official in Vallejo where her previous studio proposal had failed in 2011. They quote him as saying, All I can say is I came across information that indicated there wasn't a strong track record on her part. Adding, there just seemed to be a pattern of non-performance. But oddly enough, after Carpenter began courting Dixon with her latest studio dream, Heckey's position was eliminated. Oh, and if you're keeping score, and Dixon should have been, this was her seventh such proposal in 16 years. Oh, and word started getting out about her, uh, her actions in Dixon. Officials there got contacted by a Utah attorney who noted that he'd won a $448,000 default court judgment against Carpenter after his client invested in one of her proposals back in 2006. The lawyer sent Mayor Jack Batchelor a copy of the court judgment months ago. And when the B asked about the response from Dixon, the, the lawyer said he got back nothing. And after the B started uh, publicizing the story of Carissa Carpenter and her multi-billion dollar movie studio, city manager Jim Lindley started sending her emails saying, well, you know, it would be a mistake to overreact to the newspaper story. Adding, our focus should be on the positives of the project instead of the negatives of your personal life. Back on June 3rd, he, Lindley, notified Carpenter he had declined an invitation to discuss her on Insight, a Capital Public Radio interview program. Now, see, I thought on Insight they were going to talk about uh, cats playing the piano videos on YouTube. I guess I was wrong. But at that point, Lindley urged her to deliver a $100,000 deposit she'd been promising Dixon since January. And no... Since then, the money has not appeared. We appreciate the bee staying on the story. If for nothing else, it's comedic value. I just wish they would have adopted a similar view as to regards the fiasco taking place in Sacramento as regarding the downtown arena plans, which are supposedly going to make us a world-class city by keeping a basketball team local. And speaking of potential fiascos for the locals, uh, we want to talk about this... uh, McKinley Village idea, but we don't have time to go into that much today. I do want to take issue with one line by Nick Miller in the Sacramento News and Review reporting on this when he said that residents of East Sacramento, McKinley Park, and Midtown don't agree with developer Phil Angelides on much lately, but they do see eye to eye on at least one issue. Sacramento needs less urban sprawl and more urban infill development. To which I'd have to say, uh, Nick, no, uh, a lot of people living in these areas would think that Sacramento needs less urban sprawl and less urban infill development. And a final item of local political stupidity, the removal of the claw from East Sacramento has officially took place on July 1st. 
supposedly to save the city of Sacramento something like a million dollars. Well, I guess they can invest in more studies on how we're going to build an arena. But uh, I, think, I think the best thing to do here is, again, quote, one of Sacramento's letter writers on this topic, in this case, Falcon F. Lee, who wrote the B in response to a piece about planting more trees, which appeared last March, saying, the Sacramento Tree Foundation and Greenwise Joint Venture want the citizens of this good city to plant 30,000 trees in 30 days to create a better tree canopy. Gosh, have they been in touch with Solid Waste Division in the city of Sacramento about this? Because most neighborhoods now have severely restricted leaf pickup. Those with existing leaf receptacles can barely fit in what is out there now. Now I wonder, with 30,000 more trees, who's going to pick up the tab for the extra garbage these trees will generate in the spring and fall? And before we go, we would refer you also to a piece by Jack Newsham in The Bee about this very topic of the loss of the claw. I cite it for two quotes, one from East Sacramento resident Carolyn Goddard, who said, The can is so inadequate. As she pointed out, the large canopy of trees whose limbs and leaves she can't fit into these city cans. And also a quote from Erin Treadwell, spokeswoman for the city's recycling and solid waste division. I love this one. She said, the claw drivers and the truck drivers are going to stay the same. They're just going to have different focuses. Which does remind us of that great line from This is Spinal Tap. Our alleged filmmaker Marty DeBerge asks the band's manager, Ian Faith, if they're playing in much smaller venues now reflects a decline in popularity of the band. To which he shoots back, oh, not at all. It just shows that our fans are more selective now. On that note, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. 